0: Dyslexia in the workplace is a topic very close to my heart, and today's guest speaker has been a leading entrepreneur within this space with over 20 years of experience in people operations management. Most recently, she started developing flexible working environments by building tribes across the world that work remotely through her company, The People Engine. I'm very excited to be interviewing Nicole Dominic-Lemaire, where we discuss all things dyslexia. HR and using flexible and strength-based approaches within the working environment that enables those with dyslexia to excel. Thank you for coming on the show today, Nicole.
1: I'm very excited to be here, Shay.
0: So, Nicole, you've got an amazing career as an entrepreneur and you've written several books and have 20 years' experience in people operations management. What led you into a career of entrepreneur and people's operation management? And what is people operations management? Because I haven't um, heard that term before. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, I started um, as a as a graduate in a graduate program and I had to choose a particular route. Um, so there was actually the operational route and there was um, the HR route. And I chose the, the HR route and that's kind of how I... Um, started working around the world and, and traveling around the world um, and I became more and more interested in the less traditional HR but how you could actually tie it all up with the people so the, the people operations side of things and that's uh, where it has come today so people operations is a, a little bit different than than HR it involves everything within you know the operation of a business um, and it focuses much more on um, the results in the end so data driven um, much more focused on, on analytics and you could say that it's HR in a modern modern version but it's not just a change of name it's really the the whole operational side of things
0: and the entrepreneurial side where does that come from
1: well, I always thought um, that my family actually didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in in, in in their bodies. But I've recently found out that I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Um, and I think um, my dyslexia and my entrepreneurship has something to do with that. So um, I decided uh, I wanted to be my own boss. I did not want to listen to um, bosses p- above me that wanted me to do stuff and um, that I didn't agree with from either an ethical perspective or from an HR perspective so I decided well what better way of you know being my own boss is to becoming an entrepreneur so I actually help a lot of other businesses with you know people operations but also do a lot of other things on the side and um, I just love it. Um, it's been hard work, and um, but I could say now after probably six years that I'm pretty, pretty going into the right direction with the, the business side. And I think my dyslexia has helped with that a lot.
0: So you now have a company that supports organisations working in remote environments. So is that what led you to develop that company?
1: Yes, I think... I started working remotely already when I was like 24, 25, when I was on the graduate scheme um, and I was traveling the world. But I had my own teams in the US and India and um, it constantly meant um, that she had to work remotely. So you know, at that time, for example, Skype was just out. You know, it was wonderful to actually see somebody you know on the other side. And um, that's kind of how how I came into like the remote working environment. Um, it actually was never my intention to work remotely or to focus on remote teams or distributed teams. Um, it's kind of <laughs> found my way to, towards me, and I think well, usually when that happens it means that you're you're okay doing it and uh, you can push forward with it as well
0: because you were based in the UK but now you're back in Europe and even though we're in Australia most of us still work we're office-based and some of us get to work and at home but we don't really do a lot of remote work considering how big our country is
1: Yes, I I think it's becoming more and more normal, but um, it's not for everybody. And this is what I always say to to everybody as well. It it means sometimes, you know, isolation. It does sometimes mean uh, figuring out things on your own. Um, So, so, you know, if if you're really an extra extroverted person in terms of you love being around people all the time, then then, uh, remote work might not always be 100% you but then again you know it really gives you flexibility to be around people where you want to work in the world so it's, it's a little bit of a, of a balance of uh, you know um, how, how you see yourself as well and I think from a, a dyslexia p- perspective or you know um, remote work can actually really really help people and um, I'll, I'll love to you know go into that a little bit later.
0: So, working from home can be a great way for people with dyslexia um, to get work done. And it's funny because um, in particular jobs, uh, they get worried that if you work from home, it means you're not going to do your work. So, in Australia, there's a bit of a culture around fear that people are going to slack off and just, I don't know, watch TV or go out and hang out with their friends, so I think the remote work for some organisations is that fear that people aren't um, going to do what they should be doing, which is a real pity because then it means that you can't have that flexibility if you are dyslexic to have those opportunities, especially I think um, when you're busy and you need that quiet time for those reasonable adjustments. So you've spoken a lot about your experiences around being dyslexic. And you were quoted as saying my dyslexia and authenticity have been your strengths. When were you diagnosed as having dyslexia?
1: I was diagnosed very early on and um, I have three siblings and it was very clear that I had dyslexia or that there was something (laughs) wrong, wrong in terms of um, my uh, ability to read and my ability to write when I was five and six years old, um, so actually in kindergarten um, it was already noticeable that um, there was something something different um, towards, you know, towards my, my work and my play.
0: When I was at kinder, my t- kinder teacher picked up that I was a bit clumsy. What were the signs at kinder for you? My mum didn't pay any attention though. Well, they didn't know back then. So what were your signs?
1: My signs were, well, I think my my signs were the, the reading part. So I wanted and I got really, really frustrated when it didn't work. And I think that was the first sign, the frustration. So I was... To, to my teachers I was pretty intelligent you know as, as a kid I, I got things and like memory games you know I did the visual, you know uh, puzzles I didn't know time you know faster than anybody else but then when there was like reading apple or tree it took hours um, and I th- think that's where it was very very clear that you know there was something not 100% um similar to 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 other kids and I think that's really showed so I was pretty pretty cool at um you know games and visual visual things but when it came to literacy and and reading it was just a no-go zone
0: (laughs) you grew up in the Netherlands is that right
1: that's correct yes
0: and so the Netherlands are quite advanced in education and social determinants of health um, so did you get, I mean in Australia we don't have a lot, we're still developing our supports and Assessments and early interventions for primary school and school-aged children. So we did you get access to those type of things straight away?
1: Yes, I, I think um, my, my parents first of all were told that I wouldn't go very far. So um, I had uh, one of the assessments and um, it was told. I was told, and, and my parents were told, and I was standing next to my parents. Don't forget the impact of that is that I wouldn't go far, and I would only work for, at the green grocers. Now I love the green grocers, you know, <laughs> and the supermarket, but it wasn't my my dream job. So I think after assessments, and I remember particularly one assessment where I had to hop around the room to see if I fell down or not in terms of dyspraxia or I had to do mass questions and all that and for me I just didn't understand any of it in terms of why I you know had to do that particular assessment and I think that's where a lot of things go wrong actually um, and um, there was a lot of support to a certain extent um, and my my parents had to had you know had to pay for a lot of the, the support um, that that I got um, because I was so early on diagnosed.
0: And so what was life Grow, what was life like growing up for you, going through school and then um, into secondary school?
1: It was a, a challenge. Um, I loved all the hobbies I did next to, next, next to my, my school. Uh, I was pretty awesome at, at, at those. Um, in school, um, I, I utterly hated the, in, in, in Dutch you had to do the, the 20 words. Um, learning each Monday and you had a test and I was terrible at those you know 19 out of 20 I had wrong and there was no interest for me to, to be in that classroom anymore and although the teachers tried a lot um, for me it, it wasn't really hundred percent interesting but I wanted to learn and um, I had remedial teaching and um, after six months of remedial teaching, I kind of had my aha moment. Um, but actually, I wasn't just doing, you know, be at it. Um, I was actually reading a whole sentence. And that was for me, you know, the most wonderful thing ever. Um, so when I was eight, I think, I read Matilda for the first time. Wow. And I, I mean, for, for me, that was, you know, it was huge. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it was the remedial teaching from the tutoring perspective. I think it was 100% the confidence that I got from it, and. Um I think that was really important in terms of pushing forward, you know, where I went. In terms of the school experience itself, you know, I loved my school, um, but I did change schools, and I was very firm that I wanted to change schools, and that wasn't the right environment for me in primary school. And so when I was, I think I must have been nine or ten. I said I don't want to go to school anymore. I want to go somewhere else. And I actually went to a different school and I loved it because it was totally different environment. And I think that's where you you see the differences, you know, in terms of environments and it's exactly the same in company environments, it, it, you know. Um, people need to look at, at at company environments that are suitable to them, yeah. um, where they are comfortable working.
0: Yeah. So how is it like learning English? Because for a lot of people with dyslexia, learning a second language can be really very hard. But your English is really, really good. (laughs) So did you find it hard to learn to read and write in English?
1: English, I was a star at English. And this is, to be honest, the reason why I I, I left Holland and um, left uh, the Germanic language of Dutch. You know English. I believe I am probably 90% better at what I do in English than I do in Dutch. Wow. So I would actually suggest a lot of people who, who don't have English as their first language and are dyslexic, dyslexia, dyslexia um, and especially from from a kids' perspective, to look at putting their in, kids in in English school. Um, and this is just um, from my own experience but I've heard this from, from quite a few other people, is that the change from language um, actually helped them. So mm-hmm. I flourished. So I went to university in Scotland and I flourished. I only had A's. Wow. Um, and compared to my high school, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you those grades, <laughs> but they weren't pretty. How
0: fascinating. I wonder if it would help from in the English person thinking English to go to a different language whether that would help us if we converted that that would make a difference
1: Yes, I think there has been done some research in terms of the linguistic uh, impact from, from dyslexia, but I don't think there's been uh, done a, a lot of research in terms of um, that. But I do know a lot of the, the kids that go, for example, to like an English school um, in Europe uh, sometimes do have the, the focus on dyslexia and, 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 and you know, other, other needs um, to help them through school.
0: And is there anyone else in your family that is dyslexic or was it just yourself that's been diagnosed so far?
1: We had no idea, you know, and, and I thought I was the, the, the only one. So not in my close family, but in the outer family, in the broader and larger family, there are a number of people with dyslexia. And um, the interesting thing is they all do and and are going, traveling, going, speak, you know, speak English. Um, So we always all took a a certain route in terms of leaving the home language behind and and, and moving over to English. Not intentionally, but (laughs) it's very interesting. Everybody in in the wider family who has dyslexia um, is all working, you know, are all working abroad. They all you know, focus on English as, as their main language. And, um, yeah,
0: it's are really they interesting. All, are they all entrepreneurs as well?
1: Yes, a little bit. I, th- I think, well, maybe entrepreneurs, but, but yeah. they're, they're definitely going towards that direction, yes. They're very mm-hmm. independent focused. you know. We, we don't need help. We can do it ourselves, can we?
0: <laughs> yes, and I was reflecting on what you said before about wanting to work for ourselves and not for anybody else, and I can really understand where that comes from
1: <laughs> well I think you know people with dyslexia you know we're fighters, we are and um and not fighters in the in the sense of fighting with you know with people, but fighting sometimes with ourselves, fighting with um you know frustration fighting and moving forward with certain things and um you know I think the path to entrepreneurship is almost similar um, and we know we're pretty good at that so why not try you know being being an entrepreneur and almost it's almost a similar route and it's just normal for for, 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 for dyslexics and, and people with dyslexia to to, to to move that way forward and that doesn't mean always as negative in terms of fighting with it's, it can also be fighting to learn a new skill or you know um, so it, it just kind of de- depends in terms of the entrepreneurship. I think we're pretty awesome at it.
0: Yeah, it's that constant drive, isn't it? To learn or um, keep, keep moving forward, I think.
1: Yes, and I think that's, that's um, you know, that's where neurodiversity is really misunderstood and, and you know, and, um, because it's, it's invisible. But I think that, that invisibility actually gives us a lot of power and um, that, that, definitely that drive.
0: So I was really excited to have you on the show tonight, Nicole. So it's night here and daytime over there, um, because I'm studying HR. Well, my doctorate at the moment is dyslexia in the workplace because we don't have anything in Australia focused on dyslexia in the workplace. And you've had 20 years' experience in um, working in HR, so. From your experience, what are some of the ways that we could be better supporting people with dyslexia in the workplace with their careers and how they might feel more valued about the work they're doing and how we could be drawing on their strengths more?
1: I, th- I think there's a, a number of things so um, you know in almost any you know every country in the world there is um, you know some type of employment law that says you cannot discriminate so there's the discrimination part of things um, but there's also the diversity and inclusion part of it and that's you know specifically focused on the Western world at the moment is this very you know trendy and, and sensitive um, but I think it's all about achieving a Balance between the empowerment of 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 a worker and an employee and the challenge, and I think that's where it needs to be like a clearly understood pattern of of a strength. So, if somebody you know is in an organization, it, it, the the differences between people for example with dyslexia you know they're 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 severe but there might be also you know undiagnosed um and to have all the the people coming into the workforce and um with the feeling of being a little bit different um you know it, it can impact the team as well and i think talking about it openly in an organization will help and um, having a, a program, you know, not only about dyslexia, but, you know, impairments, special needs, disabilities, however you want to name certain things, it will help, but will it actually change anything? And. That's where I think um, the the focus needs to be is in changing the system and changing the systems in you know processes and, and procedures in a company, and I think that's where we we're, we're still going wrong, and um, we'll we'll probably need a, a lot of work on that in, in in the future, but I don't think everybody's willing. To put that work in from an organisation perspective, and that's really sad for me to say, but I think that's that, that's pretty much where we are today. Um, you know, and and how people want to be valued, it's, it, it's we're going more and more towards a digital world, which I think is really good for um, dyslexic, um, but there's a different support system that needs to be out there from a company perspective to push that forward for people with you know uh, special uh, special needs abilities impairments etc
0: so have you seen much of a shift in the last 20 years in um, employers uh, thinking around
1: yes yes and no so so there's some awesome organizations that do a lot of work but i think the the greatest the changes that i've seen is individuals that either have uh, you know individual directors or or managers that either have a a child with dyslexia or have had dyslexia themselves that's where you'll see the, the differences in terms of approach um and the, in you know in, in many of the or big organizations there's diversity and inclusion programs and th- they're wonderful and yes they will help certain people but they will not help all the people if you're coming from a, a certain background where you are either undiagnosed or diagnosed late in life some of these programs may not be for you and mm-hmm. i think that's that's you know, where there needs to be a difference in terms. I was really, you know, quite fortunate that it was so noticeable that, you know, um, I got help early on. But there's also many people, um, especially in in, in different economic environments that either don't want to help or don't receive the help. Mm. And when they come into your organization, they're not gonna go out there and, 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 and jump into a program for diversity and inclusion or even, you know, disclose that they have dyslexia. They, they 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 will not. Even if it's an open environment. They they've gone through too much. So you know, how how can you, you know, open this up to to everybody? And I think mm-hmm. that's where our challenge lies.
0: Yeah, That's a really good point Has it been any country in particular because you've worked in so many where you feel that they're um, leading the way or any that have shown good examples of what we could be taking particularly in Australia because um, We're so new and we're hoping to develop learning from the best
1: Yes, I think you know the There's always the UK and the US, Mm -hmm. however, I think you'll find the best ways of the best programs and the best ways of working with people with dyslexia actually in much more of the emerging markets. So in Africa, you know, in South Africa, in Latin America, in Argentina, Chile. And the reason why I'm saying this is people don't have the resources there, so they have to do it themselves. And what our dyslexic good at is putting things together, the big picture thinking. And community support and, you know, putting a a whole program around supporting children and pushing forward from, you know, different economic backgrounds. And I think that's where... um, You'll see a lot of the the interesting innovative support for for dyslexia, and um, I know in the in the Western world we're we're very comfortable in terms of you know from a US and UK perspective these are the assessments these are the things um, we need to do. But how is that actually working out for everybody? And I'm gonna be really, you know, harsh in this is you know, there's huge social and, and the financial cost of, of the result of illiteracy and the implications are, you know, to the economy are, are huge from an unemployment unemployment and crime perspective. So you know look at these places where they have to figure it out to do it themselves people know that dyslexia exists but should they follow the western perspective and have people go through all the assessments or should they start thinking about how else can we actually push things forward and i think that's very you know it needs to be a little bit of both and i think from uh, for example a dutch perspective the the focus is too much on the assessments too much you know you have to do this you have to be assessed you know this is your diagnosis that diagnosis is is, is heartbreaking for everybody you know, nobody nobody at the moment wants to have dyslexia and I know there's a lot of, you know, big influencers wanting to change that and, 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 you know, it's a a gift. But then again, you know, how is that changing the rest of the world? At the moment, it's not. So we need to look at more innovative ways of of pushing, you know, children and and adults forward with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, we're very strong at the foundation around um, people getting a diagnosis particularly because um, in Australia there's a lot of people out there that are trying to sell snake oil ointments that will cure dyslexia. And I think because um, it's still so new in over here in so many ways and we don't have a strong intervention program and we're still so young in how people are supported. So we're very big on getting an assessment will help build our evidence base over here and help get funding because you can't get funding in Australia. So um, it's interesting you say that because I love the concept of thinking outside the box and going to somewhere like Africa. And it's interesting because I've had some different countries from Africa start following us on LinkedIn and social media, which I was really curious about. And so now that explains you know, how they've popped up on starting to follow us but we're very big on you know if you get an assessment that's the first step in trying to build our profile in an advocating to government in why we should be then getting funding for people but you make a very good point
1: I I think you know diagnosis is very important but I think you can only start doing that when there's an understanding of of what you're going to do with this and you know, i I've, in university. I was surrounded with with people with dyslexia who was, you know, who were just diagnosed with the dyslexia, while I already had, you know, 16 years of experience with it, and the difference, you know, was amazing. and And these people actually dropped out, and it was heartbreaking for me, and I just couldn't understand why a country would let people down in that way and why a school system would let people down in that way and to this day i'm a you know a firm supporter of of of, you know people with, with dyslexia because of one of those reasons because of that and these people were talented they had it in them but they didn't get support early on, mm. you know. And, and um, giving somebody a computer when they're 18 to help them, it's not going to change anything because they had 18 years of, 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 of not the best of school experience and it's still happening even with all the wonderful programs in place in, in some of the countries. So so I think, you know, it, we really need to start changing it. And I don't think the solution is always dyslexia is a gift. It is a gift to certain people if you know how to handle it. And I know how to handle my dyslexia and I know how to use it for the best. People who've just learned that they have dyslexia don't know how to use it yet. They've you know gone through a not always bright and positive experience. So so pushing something and saying either it's a gift or it's a, it's a learning difficulty or it's a, a special needs, nothing is going to change their minds. It's going to take a little while until they understand how, how, how to kind of work together with it. And it's a, a work together with it.
0: Yeah. And anyone that's listened to a number of my podcasts will know that I don't see it as a gift. I've never seen it as a gift. And I'm, whether it's because I was diagnosed late in life, like you're saying... Or whether um, you know if I'd been diagnosed early and had the type of support you had, whether I would now see it as a gift. But I just find it as a daily frustration and irritation. And another friend of mine who's dyslexic, we both say, if someone asked us tomorrow, would we give it? Would we give it away? We say yes. We don't want to be neurodiverse. We want to just be neurotypical. But at the end of the day, we are what we are, and you accept that. But. Um,
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting in terms of, you know, neurotypical or neurodiverse. Uh, I I think, you know, from an aspect of of, um, being, you know, different, I think the emotional distress that, you know many people experience would be a lot less if there wasn't that shameful undertone that carries it all and i think that's what you know some of the influencers want to change there's n- there's no shame in having dyslexia or no shame in having a special need or disability and i think that's that's where um the society attitude you know towards reading writing and, and the spelling problems is, is where we really need to focus you know our our our, our, our direction. But in terms of a, a gift, I see it as a gift at the moment because, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I can help companies um, see the big picture in no time, right? You know, my problem solving skills, you know, I'm, I'm the troubleshooter for, for many people, you know, my spatial awareness is, is amazing. And I think those skills, if you understand how to use them to the benefit of, of you, but also, for example, your business, I think, you know, it, it, it is a gift. Mm. But in the meanwhile, you know, in terms of reading and writing, the, the writing aspect, especially with some of the new apps, you know, that's going to be a, a, a big change for, for, for many people as well. So I, yeah. I think it can be both.
0: And I think, you know, once I step out of my current role and I um, run the foundation full-time, I may actually end up looking at it as a gift, like you say, because I'll have the opportunity where I'm in an environment where I'm actually shining and getting to use all those strengths that you're talking about, those entrepreneurial strengths, to their full advantage rather than in a role where I'm constantly doing all the things that I have a daily struggle with. And I think, you know, that's where the foundations work and with the work you're doing in supporting people in HR, where if we're able to support people in their strengths in the work they're doing and guiding people to get into roles where they can use their strengths, then people end up, you know, having happier, healthier lives, which is what we're trying to work towards.
1: Yes, yes I think it's all about the, the, the well-being of people and i i I think a a lot of it is you know people think it's their own responsibility to to deal with it you know to deal with a a a learning disability or difficulty or or gift um but I i think you know in terms of the, the low self-esteem the confidence it's all about that and 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 you know focusing on, on on that you know i i see straight away if somebody and this sounds really really you know strange but if somebody comes comes into an organization or even you know if i interview somebody i see straight away you know if if there's a either you know confidence or, or low self-esteem um uh, focus and straight away you you, you understand okay you know is, is, is there something I can do to, to help that and I think that's where we need to train you know people in, in an organization to to identify that and and to work with it and and not to judge and i think that's where the the most important thing is, is not to judge anybody um and it's difficult to do you know if, if I've, I've had ma- many uh, many managers and and, and co-work, co-workers and colleagues that had to be really really patient because i can't explain something in five words for me it's 50 words or 250 words for me to explain something you know I'm a storyteller I can't do boom 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 and that boom 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 is crucial in, for example corporate environment so how can we train you know a a dyslexic to to do that to get those five you know 250 words into five words or do we have to you know or can we still do it with 250 words I Mm -hmm. think that's where the, the change lies
0: well see my problem is I'm too short I don't give enough context and so I'm too direct and too blunt and I don't give enough fluff (laughs) and so then people think I'm being too direct because I don't I can't I don't have enough words to be able to um, to give the story around it which is really interesting in the workplace so I have your opposite problem to
1: you Uh, but that would really go well down, you know, down well in uh, in in Holland. Huh? I mean, the directness and, <laughs> and the bluntness really. I
0: need to move to a different country. It doesn't go down well in Australia.
1: <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think that's a gift, you know. To be honest, that is a gift you know um I, I don't think maybe you see it this way yet but i think in the next couple of years that could really help you in you know in moving their dyslexic forward i don't have any doubt about that to be honest um <laughs> Not quite a yeah gift that's pretty cool actually
0: <laughs> my team don't find it a gift sometimes <laughs> and it's the way i write as well so i have to remember in emails i have to go back and put all the the niceties in because I just I write like I speak bang <laughs> I think it's just a family trait not so much a dyslexic one we're all as bad as each other <laughs> we're all blunt <laughs> get it from our dad who <laughs> is dyslexic actually so it could be <laughs> so what do you think of some of the biggest barriers facing people dyslex people with dyslexia in the workplace from your perspective
1: I, th- I think the the reduced employment opportunities you know i think that's that's one big big um issue i think also the the diagnosis should i tell shouldn't i tell mm. um you know should i disclose shouldn't i disclose in, in you know in 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 a country that has uh that in place and i think that's where you probably see 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 the, the the not knowing what to do um is it good for my career or isn't it good for my career to disclose
0: it's extremely stressful I, do you always disclose prior to going out on your own did you always disclose
1: i did not disclose until i was 30 and but that's really big, but um, I did disclose it to the people I was working with. So in a few weeks into the role, I would say I have dyslexia, um, you know, and it doesn't bother me that much, you know, in English, I think, but maybe they think differently. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, um, I don't need any any extra bits because I'm pretty self sufficient and that's what you learn you know <laughs> dealing with mm. dyslexia but I do want to say that I do have it so there's different ways of approaching it um, sometimes you have to disclose but I don't believe that you know I, I think you know you feel and do what you feel you know is right for you um and if people come back to you and say well you should have done you know you should have disclosed this there's no you know nobody enforces anything um you know depending on the on the label law of course but I, I think if you can handle it and you know you, you know you can handle it um, you know you do what's right for you and if that means disclosing or, or not disclosing, that's, that's really up to you and nobody can, can make that decision for you. Um, but I don't th- always think still at the moment it's the right way to do things. I think if you're late in your career, I think it's a lot easier to do. But I also know, for example, for clients of mine, there there are certain people that that, that never wanted to work with me or don't want to work with me because of the dyslexia, because they can have a a fully qualified other person in place. So why do we take somebody with dyslexia? Well, other clients see, hey, you know, Nicole comes in and kind of does everything and she's out again and it's all sorted. So, you know, and that's due to dyslexia, so you know it's also a little bit of a split in terms of you know the the corporations that are open to it and and people that are not open to it
0: yeah I've always disclosed that it's always been very anxiety provoking and I've thought should I shouldn't I and we've got a page on our website that talks about you know it's up to you and how you can go about it and the legalities around it. But um, it's always really stressful. And because employers don't know how to support you, they expect you to know all the answers, which, I mean, you do because you know yourself what you need, but because there's no support, it's really hard. And um, sometimes I've had positive responses and other times it's not gone down very well.
1: Yes, I I think, you know, some people see it as, you know, betrayal, you know, and employees as a betrayal, you know. We've just hired you, we've gone through, you know, three months of 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 you know selection processes, you come out as the as the best candidate and then you do this to me kind of thing. And mm. I've had it all. I mean in nature I've I've seen it and heard it all. And um you know, you have just as many rights as, as any other person, and um, they picked you for a reason. So, um, you know, if you sh- shown through that selection process and you're at the end of it, you know, doesn't it shouldn't make any difference at all if you, you know, if you. Um, tell your, your direct manager if, if you have dyslexia or not and you know I think that's very important to to remember that you, you should be proud that you got so far and that you got that offer and if they change their mind about anything you, you know what to do legal wise. Hmm.
0: We have on our forms, our employment forms, do you have a, a disability or a physical disability? that may impact on your employment when you first start. And I always think, should I tick the box or shouldn't I? And are you, is it against the law if you don't tick it? And I'm never too sure whether, you, if I don't tick it, then I have, I'm not telling the truth. And I think by law, I don't have to tick it. But it's all those things that people, you know, I'm always so worried about, so I can't be the only one that's worried about it when you go for a new job. <laughs> Must run through, <laughs> if there's one in 10 of us millions of people's heads when they look at that box it must create so much anxiety for people i don't know if you've got the same type of form
1: yes yes i I remember those forms very well and they're they're still there and you know and nowadays it's a click box you know online you know do do you need special support or not and 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 and, you know I, I, i would it really depends on how you feel and where you are in your career But I think at some point you need to come clean and and once you start living with it and and, and people know about it, you know, it helps in a certain way as well. Because you have that confidence that you did get that job and you did work very hard to get to that place. And, um, And if they you know, if, if, if they discriminate in terms of not taking you through a selection process because of that, or if they, um, you know, do anything that, that you feel isn't right, you know, check out the page that is, that is on the dyslexic and, and you know what to do. Mm. But, it's, it's, you know, things are changing with it. And, and the, the, the issue is ma- many organizations do not know what to do with, with somebody with dyslexia they have maybe a diversity and inclusion program in place and they may have you know a a few processes but you know I've I've been contacted many times in terms of saying well the company says I have to supply all my own things for you know for this and I'm not getting the extra time and all these types of things and you know it's it's, it's difficult because as an organization you may not understand how to deal with it as well and um, I think that's where you know as you already showed you know I write 250 words you write five words you know we're totally opposite in terms Mm. of you know our expression and um you know, a manager needs to be able to deal with, you know, maybe more dyslexic in, in, in a workforce. But, you know, if, if a Microsoft and a NASA can do it, you know, any co- corporation or small company can do it. And I think sometimes smaller organizations are better suited for dyslexic at the moment because they, um, they don't see... Um, that's as different. We are part of the game, you know. They need our skills and we can push them forward in, in, in a smaller organisation a lot quicker. So
0: what do you think are some of the um, ways that workplaces could be better supporting people with dyslexia?
1: I think uh, it's, it's a lot to, to do with understanding, communicating and being flexible. And I think that's where where the crucial uh, part lies is the flexibility for a dysle- dyslexic. And it's not always someone says, okay, here's this process or here's this program. It's it's the understanding and the acceptance, giving the confidence, and playing to the strengths. And at the moment. There's a lot of focus on you know competencies competencies sorry competencies and um, and strengths and not looking at some of the weaknesses and and for dyslexic it's important to to focus on those strengths hundred percent and if those strengths go forward, the weaknesses will grow towards strengths as well and I think that's that's really where every employer and every workplace needs to you know needs to focus on and not to see dyslexia as negative you know some people may not see it as a gift um, but it has positive things as well in terms of you know helping your colleagues with maybe problem-solving or helping colleagues maybe seeing you know the bigger picture so I I think that's where we really need to 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 look at supporting individuals and not supporting a group of people that have you know a disability special need or whatever you want to call it
0: I guess if the workplace focused on everybody's strengths it would be a better workplace not singling anybody out then are you
1: I, th- I think it's about the, the singling out and it happens all the time now still as well and I, th- I think at the moment there's a lot of focus in terms of diversity and inclusion and you know to, to get everybody into the, the workforce but everybody also needs you know and needs and means <laughs> people with different skill sets and mm-hmm. different skill sets means people with dyslexia dyspraxia you know and I think that's that's what the companies are looking at, but they're not there yet in terms of, okay, how are we actually going to get all these people in? You know, people who speak 250 words or five words, you know, how how are we going to manage all these? Um, And I think that's where individual managers and support of people who understand where we're coming from is really, really important. Um, So I would not even say, you know, diversity and inclusion program is the most important. I would say mentors to, you know, almost like, you know, set up a, a program with dyslexia mentors or people who support people who need a little bit more time or who need some extra understanding of, of, of a particular topic area. And I think that's where you'll really see the, the changes in, in terms of individual teams and individual people and not so much from a, a big organization, a corporation perspective.
0: It's interesting you use the word mentor because we've just applied for and one a little grant for mentoring, and so we're looking at um, mentors at TAFE and university for students, but also mentors in the workplace. So, um, better focus more on people with dyslexia having a mentor and a mentee. But we hadn't really thought about um, an employer or a line manager having a mentor. So maybe that's something we need to look at as well.
1: I I think that's where you'll get uh, the, the biggest impact. Um, if I think about who has supported me um, during my, my corporate time, it was all you know. It was all different mentors, but they were all aware of dyslexia. They did all their research in terms of how can we help Nicole into um, you know with her 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 dyslexia, and not so much only on me. You know, what can we do to get their strengths out? And I think that's where a mentor will really, really help, also in their work. For, for us and you know it's, it's about the, the empowerment and the self-esteem build. and I think once you have that mentors really you know push that forward um, and, and, and and help with uh, the whole makeup of the you know neurodiversity uh, within a company
0: I like so you think really you're going process. the right direction they sound like really good managers as well though to be that engaged and wanting to learn more to be able to support you
1: I think they're pretty, pretty awesome managers, but Mm. I think I gave them something else as well that, and I think that's maybe how how dyslexics can, can give back is uh, and give, people an understanding of what you see in a workplace, yeah. you know, what's going wrong, you know, dyslexic, <laughs> know very well what's going wrong in a workplace mm-hmm. and how to improve something. That's what, you know, all of us are very, very good at. Um, so, so, so share some of that as well with, you know, with, uh, with somebody, in, you know, who, who helps you and, and supports you, whether that's a mentor or somebody close to you in, in, in the workforce. I think that's, that's where we give back a lot. Um, but we receive a lot as well.
0: So you've become a bit of a dyslexic advocate because I came across you on Twitter, I think it was, um, because as we were saying, um, you're overseas and I'm in Australia at the moment. So um, how do you feel being a dyslexic advocate? Would you label yourself as an advocate in this space?
1: (laughs) HR i have to have to smile about that it was never at all my intention um to to first of all to be seen as that um or to be to go out as that but i think the the reason why i've gone and and and, and shared all, all the information and i'm really you know supportive of of, of dyslexia is that i need to see the changes you know it's, it's 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 been long enough i don't want people that i had in university um to drop out i don't want to see certain things we, we as a society so far now that nothing of any of this should be happening and um i think you know with a little bit of empowerment support and, and maybe a little bit of you know uh, persistence we, we can make that difference and we can make that change and um, it was never really my intention but I think um, I, I think it, it, it does help in, in, in a certain way in terms of pushing it out there that it is you know people are normal people are out there you know and, and having and creating certain lives that they want to have with the, with dyslexia
0: yeah that's great we are just normal people <laughs> trying to get that message out there so if you have any um, key tips or suggestions for people that might be listening today around if they're struggling in the workplace at the moment whether it might be their workload I mean we've talked a little bit about this um, disclosure but anything that you have found useful or that you've given um, suggested to people in the workplace
1: well, I think first of all that there needs to be some type of diversity and inclusion program in, in the workplace, then there should be then a, a special part of that focused on people with um, you know, dyslexia or impairments, special needs, um, there's so many names for it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, there are. and. Um, I think, and then growing that out. But I think maybe in your corporation, focus on and putting, a, 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 you know, a, an ambassador of dyslexia in place. You know, have have somebody with dyslexia, you know, sharing. Okay, how can we actually make this, you know, better for everybody? And I think that's where you 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 see um, an impact and. Um, not by only getting huge amounts of influencers on on high levels in, but you know, there's there's so many people in your organization that you may not even know of that already have something that can help other people, and they're usually really really willing to help. And it's about create creative adaptations, I think, in an organization. So um, so enabling you know, everybody to to learn inclusively and and, and meaningfully and work, um, you know, with with, with strategies that that help actually um, push the the business forward because everybody with a dyslexic mind, you know, wants to push a business forward. Um, So it's about respect as well, you know, respect individual differences and um, promote good communication between everybody.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, Nicole. Is there anything, anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we
1: sign off? Whether you are somebody with dyslexia or whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, you know, we're all, we're all the same. We all have a certain strength. We all have a certain skill set and it's bringing about those things to push a company forward. And sometimes that does mean flexibility, and sometimes that means listening a little bit more and reading a little bit more um, to, to, to get that person integrated within, in, into your organization or in school or within a family. It's about patience, I think, and enablement. And you need to enable a person with dyslexia um, and their skill set and to feel meaningful. And I think that's the the main thing I would like to say.
0: Yeah, it is about feeling meaningful and to enable people. It's very important. So thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. If you would like to find out more about Nicole, her company, the People Engine or her work advocating for those with dyslexia, head to Dear Dyslexic website or you can find out more about Nicole on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. Also, if you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with all the work that we are doing at the Foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there's anything you've heard today that you've found distressing, you can contact Beyond Blue one 300 4636 or Lifeline 13-11-14. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.